When did your parents talk to you about sex? Did they wait until you were well into your teens? Or maybe never even brought up the subject at all except to issue warnings? It's not an easy topic for many parents, but it's an important one. If you want to raise a sexually healthy child, you need to start the conversation early. And you need to cover a lot of ground. Their bodies, sexuality, sex and intimacy, consent, don't know how or when to begin? I'm Diane Atwood, and this is the Catching Health Podcast. My guest is certified sex therapist Jennifer Wiesner. She conducts workshops on raising sexually healthy children, and she's going to help us figure out what to say and what not to say to our kids. So take a deep breath and let's start the conversation. Jennifer Wiesner is a licensed clinical social worker and a sex therapist certified by the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. She has a private practice in Cumberland, Maine, where she works with adults and couples on issues of intimacy, relationships, sex, sexual medicine, and gender. She also offers workshops for parents, teachers, physicians, and adults who work with children on raising sexually healthy children. Jennifer and I talked a while ago about starting the conversation early. You can listen to that podcast on my blog at catchinghealth.com. And in this episode, we are picking things up at continuing the conversation with kids who are ages 9 to 14. Welcome back, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Diane, for having me. Do you ever have any downtime? I'm guessing there are a lot of people (laughs) with a lot of problems related to sex. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't have a lot of downtime, and that's a good thing because it just means that more people are showing up and getting what they need and getting both feeling better in their own bodies or becoming more competent in sharing information with their children. So that's okay to not have any downtime. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm glad you have time for us today. Thank you. Now, you say that no matter what their age, it's important to talk to kids about healthy sexuality. Why? Well, I think as we've maybe touched on last time, that sexuality is just such a core and enriching part of being a human being. And healthy sexuality means being able to discuss and share your feelings, your values, your desires, and to express these and to be able to say yes and no to sex without any shame or guilt. And I know for me, I want to instill that in my sons. And to do that, we really need to scaffold information with children as they grow. Because without the building blocks from the time that they're young, it's harder to understand how sexuality relates to them and how to navigate their bodies, enjoy them, and keep them safe. You know, we wouldn't let our kids in a car without driver's ed. And so our right. kids our kids need this from the time that they're young. And then, because of what we're talking about today, if we do that, it makes adolescence and the conversations that we need to have with them so much easier. Instead of sitting them down when they're about 13 and having the talk. Exactly, because they're just going to cover their ears and be like, la, 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 I can't hear you. <laughs> yeah. But there's there's so much to talk about. You talk about their bodies, about sex and sexuality, about consent. Um, for those who didn't listen to our other podcast yet, can you review briefly how you might start a conversation with a five or six-year-old? 
Sure. I mean, um, it does seem like a lot, doesn't it? You know, when we talk about all of that stuff and we know that sexuality is such a charged um, discussion point in people's lives. And so to then think about, wow, I'm talking about bodies and sexuality and consent. And so again, but when we start young and we have those, um, those um, building blocks there, the groundwork is there for each new step. And so when we do name body parts for toddlers, teach them that their body belongs to them and who can and cannot touch it. And when we normalize self-touch instead of shaming them. And then when they come into puberty, we teach them that puberty is a natural and even, you know, fun part of life. That's how we lay that foundation for them to be ready to handle what comes in puberty. And so all of this preps them for that healthy sexuality that we're talking about and consent giving and receiving. And as you said, this is not a one and done when they're 13. We, it's many, many mindful and targeted discussions over the years. And we often feel we have to get it all done at once. But, um, you know, normalizing the body parts, self-touch, consent, and then they're ready to start understanding because they have that behind them, the beginning of sexual desire and identity formation. And so for those little ones, the five and six year olds, um, I often will tell parents a great way to start that is to start with a picture book, really just start with a book that's geared to healthy developmental sexuality. So you can sit with your child and it's not just you're sitting them down and talking to them and it can gradually discuss the developmental important topics of this age group and also um, just make them feel comfortable around the, the topics. And I know you suggested a lot of books, and I listed them on the blog post that goes with our other podcast. Oh, and great. I'm guessing you're going to have more books to recommend that I can put on the blog for people. Yes. And so for this age group that you just asked about, um, Roby Harris's It's Not the Stork Book, that's for four to seven-year-olds. That's just, it's such a great place to start. And the only caveat I add with every book recommendation or resource that I give is that you're going to have to insert your own values. That's the parent's job, not mine, not anybody else's, but the parents. And also insert the colorful landscape that is one's family. So, for example, um, I have a, um, a gay brother. And so from the time that my children, you know, basically were born, they understood that part of our family. And so it's important to help them understand that. And you may not always find every um, aspect of sexuality in every book. And so we have to be adding that in as well. And not everybody agrees on how to approach different topics or their values are different as you as you right. mentioned so. right and so and that's a big piece that we'll probably talk about a little bit later is that um checking in with one's values is critically important before we start talking to our kids especially adolescents because they'll start asking more questions about what we think about things or why something is the way it is or why do we treat people a certain way. And so if you haven't accessed your own values and really thought about them versus you know the ones you're just dragging with you from your own childhood, it's really hard to, to be there with your kid and explain these things if you haven't checked in on your own about them. Okay, so now your kid is nine years old. Yes. And uh, before long, things are gonna be changing the raging hormones. I can't believe that you said puberty can be fun. <laughs> As I recall, it was a bit overwhelming, not mm -hmm. only for kids, but also for their parents. So where's a good place to continue the conversation at this age? 
Sure. Before I get right to that, I would like to just sort of set the record straight about the, <laughs> the raging hormones, because um, it is it's something in the newer literature that it's actually a myth. Of oh. course, the hormones are changing, but they actually are changing during adolescence in accordance to the restructuring of the adolescent brain. So I think that, you know, that's normal, healthy and necessary. And when we use the word raging, it disempowers the adolescents and misleads parents to thinking teens have no ability to control themselves or their actions. And so really, I, I actually did a, a workshop for eighth graders on the brain and puberty. And I talked to them about that and that, you know, really it, it is disempowering. And do they, I asked them how they felt about that. They didn't like that at all. So really just um, kind of taking a new perspective on it. And especially when I said that puberty can be fun. I think if we know what's happening to our body and is going to happen to our body, we can focus less on the anxiety of what's happening and look at some of the perks like Maybe you're going, you're taking driver's ed. Maybe you're allowed to go to um, football games on your own. Maybe you're allowed to hang out with your friends later at night. You're going to be taking, you're going to be driving, like all of these things that are these rites of passage that can be fun. So (laughs) I love your attitude. I love (laughs) and, and the science behind it as well. Yes. So their brains are maturing. Yes. And, yes, and so were their bodies. And so it's just a matter of things uh, working in concert. Exactly. And we also know that it doesn't fully mature until the early 20s and that those emotional lobes of the brain, they actually develop before the big boss, you know, the prefrontal cortex. And so what off, that's why we often see a little bit more emotionality around adolescence. Um, and sometimes we're, we often are asking our teenagers, why are you doing that? Or what made you do that? Well, because the emotions are a little bit ahead of the um, prefrontal cortex. And so knowing how the adolescent brain is functioning is so helpful and can actually be freeing for both ourselves. And then if we pass that information on to our kids about, hey, sometimes you're going to feel emotional. Sometimes you're not even going to fully understand your emotions. Know that A, it's temporary, and B, that it's actually going to be happening. And I think Dan Siegel, Dr. Dan Siegel's book, Brainstorm, is really helpful for parents to understand the teen brain and how to support teens in that positive way. I like his approach on the positive aspects of adolescence. And so I'm going to get out of my, you know, soapbox about (laughs) No, I'm glad you were on it because um, I think I said it uh, during our last interview. I could have used you. Um, when my kids were growing up. But you know, as you were talking, I was thinking of it from the parents' point of view, how it's so easy to become exasperated with your teenagers. And yet we were teenagers Mm -hmm. and were exasperating. Um, But it gives the parent permission, too, to take a deep breath and to be able to say to themselves, okay, this is normal. It's not that my kid has suddenly started hating me or wanting to go against everything I stand for or say. It's just normal. It's just normal, right. And so the question about where to start, what I say is stay one step ahead. So if you think your child, you know, they're 11 years old, but they're not thinking about dating or they're not thinking about, you know, you don't think they're having desire, but you see all the, uh, the hallmarks of puberty, what I would say is you want to be looking ahead to those topics that are right in front of that child because they're already going to be thinking about it or they're going to need to be prepared for it because others in their peer group will be there. 
So the way that I start suggest for my parents that I work with is that um, I say, hey, I was reading about how important it was it is that we'd be talking about sexuality and bodies and consent and that it's a huge part of our lives. And I know that I haven't been doing it, but that's because my parents didn't do it for me. And I know that I really could have used that information. So I just want you to know that we're probably going to be talking about these things and that I'll always be here to listen because I love you that much and I want you to have the best life that you can. I remember when my daughters, they're two and a half years apart and um, they were pre-adolescent both of them and we went off to the bookstore so that I could find some books to help me continue the conversation and one of my daughters was right there on the floor with me pouring through the books and the other daughter wanted nothing to do with it except I remember her peeking around the corner at the end of the aisle and saying (laughs) have you found anything yet (laughs) (laughs) And see, so even though we think like they're not there or ready for it, they just might be a little bit more shy about how it's being presented or how they're going to get that information. And that's okay. We still, we, you know, I always say we don't, we talk about drugs and alcohol, safe driving. We never stop talking about that. Why don't we talk about this? This is equally, if not more important. So we're going to talk about that problem in a minute. But Mm -hmm. before we do, how much information should you give kids at this age? My answer is a lot. I thought you you would say that. I thought I would. Um, By adolescence, um, they're already hearing about different types of sex, um, experience, you know, sexual experiences. Um, They're most are exposed to porn and hear all about gender stereotypes. They see things in the media, on the news, I'm, you know, especially in the climate that we're in right now with sexual assault. So they have access to the adult world. And you want to be sure that they're getting realistic, grounded, and factual information. And it's best if it can come from you as a parent or credible resources, like, like I said, some of the kid-friendly books, because we don't want them getting it from porn other peers, and the media, which they have constant access to every day. My son, on his phone, he just got a phone for his birthday, um, and he has the Washington Post app on his phone. He reads it every morning when he gets up. So he sees every morning and shares with me kind of who's the latest on the list for being called out for sexual assault. Wow. So, I mean, this they're seeing it everywhere. We can't avoid it. And especially as adolescents, because they're also part of school, they need to get out there and they're supposed to be looking at current events. They're supposed to know what's going on. And so they're seeing this. So they really need to have us on board to support that and guide them. Right. So you can turn those kinds of moments, these current events, into teachable moments. Very much so. Um, I think it's important that we do that and not just say, oh, you know, that's bad stuff or, oh, you don't need to hear that, but rather ask them, what do you think about all of this? You know, what are your thoughts about this? How do you think people should be treated? You know, really, the, the great part about that is as in adolescence, we should be doing a lot more listening than talking and helping them critically think. So asking the what do you think is really a great question to start getting them to think critically about questions that they may not have considered before. So some parents, I have a hard time talking about sex with anybody, never mind with their kids. So do you have any advice to sort of break the ice for these parents? I think my advice would be that, you know, this is a critical learning component for kids and it's necessary. 
to their health, their happiness, their their long-term relational success. And you know what? Nobody has to be perfect doing this. I think we're so nervous about doing it right and doing it, I don't know, efficiently. But we really, we just need to start because you know what? Our kids are forgiving. We need to do it and apologize when we screw it up. And we need to breathe, laugh at ourselves, and seek out help when we when we're getting ready and whether that means coming to you know a raising sexually healthy children workshop or coming or signing up for a private consultation of group sign your thing just to get you ready or read some of these resources that we're going to have later um i just feel like um we don't do it because we feel we don't know how but we really don't have to have all the answers up front we can say look I don't really know what I'm doing, but I know it's important. And again, that's how much I love you. Um, one study showed that even though parents are the primary source of information uh, about sexual and reproductive health for their kids, few effective programs that help parents positively influence their kids' sexual behavior even exist. So again, just validating that we didn't get this information. There's not a lot out there that helps us do this, yet kids are still looking to us. So I know my goal is to prepare adults in this generation of kids um, to be comfortable in their own skin, enjoy that skin, be respectful of others' bodies, and enjoy them when appropriate, and just how to keep their bodies safe from disease. So I think parents should be um, trying to cover those topics, you know, and I'm not above begging parents to be <laughs> part of this. I am begging. Um, but just the real thing I want them to get out of this is nobody has to be perfect. And, and it doesn't have to come out smoothly. It can be um, choppy. And you just say, hey, I'm, I'm trying my best here and, and muddle through. And sometimes and some- even the most confident parent will get a question from a kid and uh, kind of renders them speechless. So what, take a deep breath and, and say to your kid, I really want to talk about this, but now's not a good time. And then you go and throw cold water on your face. And- <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. Um, there, There's always going to be sort of, you know, a question that actually what we, what I would say is that you want your kid to ask you hard questions. I had one mom say, you know, I don't like that he's coming to me with these questions. And I'm like, oh, but you want him to. He, there's a trust level there that he's bringing this to you. So being speechless is fine, but really the key is to hold your composure. We don't want you to say, what? Where did you get that? Because um, those I call the interrogation questions. They send kids to, you know, the defense. And so what we really want to, we want them to come to us. And so the best thing to do is let them know that their question is always great. That it is no matter what they say to you, that's a great question. So if your kid comes to you and says, hey, mom, what is an STI? I heard it on the bus. And even though you're like, oh my gosh, my kid's 10 years old. I had never had any intention of sharing this yet. Um, you Hopefully you turn around, you've taken a deep breath and you say, um, it's a good question and an answer you probably need to know. It's a sexually transmitted infection, um, is a risk of having sex. And there are several types of these and using a condom properly and something called a dental dam, which we can discuss later, can prevent these. Does that answer your question? I always suggest to parents that they keep it to two sentences. You know, if you have to go to three, fine, but you always want to keep it super short, even though you think, oh my gosh, I need to give them so much more information and values and this and that. Just provide the information first and say, does that answer your question? And then they can let you know 
well, what is this? Or how does this work? Or why is that? But you always just want to stop, check comprehension, give information, stop, check comprehension. And lots of times you might not have the information and you don't want to say to your child, oh, I need to Google that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And you know what? I think there's actually, you know, truth in that and some, I think, something misleading, which is we are not all knowing and letting our kids know that, hey, we don't know everything. But what we could say is, you know what? Could we revisit that after dinner? Or, you know what? We're running out the door. And can we talk about that a little later? But always making sure that we cycle back to um, the question that we never leave it hanging because that's when our kids stop trusting us is when we say we're going to go back to it and we don't. But um, you can say, you know, I know what that is, but I think I'd rather give you a little bit more of a clinical, you know, maybe definition. So, or I haven't thought about that in a while. Let me get back to you. I think it's okay to let them know that. Okay. Now, but sometimes they might ask a question, a child might ask a question that may not be appropriate and kind of sends up a red flag. Can you give an example of that kind of a question that may signal that your child may be at risk? Sure, sure. And and of course, in that moment, it all, you know, more than ever is a time that we really want to make sure that we're eliciting from them what they're trying to say. And so checking in with them, if they came to you and said, you know, um, what is rape? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, of course, you may be like, why, oh my gosh, why are they asking that question? Has something happened to them? Did they hear about something? Did they see something? And I would say that, you know what, that's not even really a call for red flag. What it is, is it's called for, hey, I need more information here. And the last thing, again, you want to do is the, why are you asking that? Or when did you hear that? But rather saying, you know, that's a really good question. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about what you're asking? And then sit down and give them, you know, if they can, if they can't give eye contact, that's fine. Some kids cannot do that and that's okay. Or if they're in the backseat of the car, you know, you don't want to slam on the brakes, (laughs) but rather just elicit more information. And then, you know, the answer to the rape question is it's actually a fairly simple one. You know, you know, remember when we talked about, you can say to your child, remember when we talked about what sex is? Well, um, rape is when somebody, um, uh, accesses someone else's body sexually and particularly in intercourse and does it without consent. And that's illegal. Does that answer your question? So what I'm hearing you say is it's really important to not freak out, not to, not to (laughs) laugh at your child, tease, make a joke, reprimand, go overboard with information. Just take your deep breath and treat your child with respect and keep it simple and yeah. try to elicit more information without freaking your child out. Beautifully said. It's, that's exactly it. We want to respect them. They want respect, and we need to give it to them if we want to remain their source. Okay. So what is sexually healthy behavior for kids who are ages 9 to 14? That's a pretty big swath because remember at nine, we may have young girls already in puberty, um, but boys not even close. So just for reference for the listeners, the average age of pubertal onset in girls is 10 and a half. And in boys, the average puberty starts around 11 and a half to 12. So we have a, you know, a difference there, but always remembering that it varies for all and puberty takes about three to four years. So, and everyone is different. And so 
Um, really sexually healthy would mean that they're educated on what is happening to and going to happen to their bodies and then have support with this, that they're experimenting with how to relate to and date partners and are enjoying the beginning feelings of desire and romance in non-sexual ways at this age, because they're nine to 14. So we're hoping they are not having, um, you know, sexual behavior. Um, and I know that, um, uh, what is, oh, the National uh, Longitudinal Study on Adolescent Health reports that adolescents who reported feeling connected to parents and their families were more likely than other teens to delay initiating sexual intercourse. So I'm just pointing out that those relationships to our kids are really important because that is an outcome that we want. We want them to delay until they're ready. And so healthy sexual behavior could include healthy body education, healthy relationships, um, safe dating, consent, how to both give it and receive it, and how to say yes and no, how to navigate sexuality via, via um, uh, social media so they can communicate and communicate effectively and safely. And they also really want to know, because this is also in the literature, adolescents are saying, you know what, too much focus on reproduction. We want to know about what makes a good relationship, what is pleasure. And you know what? If we don't let our adolescents know that sex is for pleasure 95% of the time, we're not teaching them accurately. Mm-hmm. And so we really need to be making sure that that is part of understanding healthy behavior for adolescents. And at all ages, we're curious about our bodies because our bodies at all ages are, are changing, I think. Uh, yeah. So one thing I would assume you would never, ever, ever want to do is to make a kid feel bad because they're curious about their bodies. Yes. And I see that a lot in my private practice with adults who, um, because I give them a a sexual assessment, they often will relate um, how an issue in childhood where they were shamed, even as early as two and three years old, for either touching themselves or having their hands in their pants or, um, you know, being curious and and pulling up, you know, another child's dress or touching other body, you know, sexual body parts. Um, they've been shamed for that and that stays with them a long time. So yeah, we really don't want to do that. We want to make sure that we're getting all the information first, supporting our child. And then maybe we need to consult with, which is something I do too, is consulting then with parents about, is this normal? Was this okay? How do I support my child through this? But maybe if there's another child involved, how do I, you know, communicate with that other parent? Like just Get the information that you need so you don't make any um, errors in that way. Communication. Yes. Right. Lots of communication. So you help parents with communication. You conduct these workshops for parents. And you do those in person here in Maine. But I read on your website that you also help people by the phone or on Skype. Is that right? That is right. Um, I've been trying to, because there are just so many different needs for different people, like I said, people who are okay with groups. Um, now I do them in people's homes and group for just their own friends instead of just coming blind to a workshop with other people and doing consultations on the phone or in um, person or via Skype where some parents have had situations where, you know, um, a child has touched another child or their child um 
for the older kids, you know what, the way my daughter is dressing is really concerning to me. And I don't want to shame her, but I don't know how else to think or handle it. And they've Mm -hmm. come in for advice around that. And I think that's beautiful. They want what's best for their child, and they don't want to instill shame. So get help. Yeah. So a person could go to your website and be able to see what workshops you offer. Yes, the workshops. Usually um, I'm posting them two or three months ahead. So like I have one in January, that one may be filled already, but then there's one in February for this age group, the nine to 14 age group. Um, and I have a workshop here in my office. Um, and it's usually, it's a small group for 12 people and they're, they're just, they're beautiful. I mean, they really offer people an opportunity in a small setting to talk about these things and to get the information that they need to jump off and go home and start doing this with their kids. So how do they find your website? Um, they, it's Jennifer Wiesner, healthysexuality.com. And of course, Wiesner, a lot of people spell it wrong. So it's W-I-E-S-S-N-E-R. So Jennifer Wiesner, healthysexuality.com. I am always open to talking to everyone who calls me. I don't, I never put a message on my phone that says, you know, I'm not taking clients or anything. I want to make sure that people are being, you know, find what they need in another provider if I can't see them or schedule as soon as possible for them to come in for a consult if they're a parent or an educator or a provider. Okay. And I will put a direct link to your website on my blog when we post the podcast. Great. And you've also given me a nice long list of resources for parents. So thank you for that. I will post all of that as well. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled that we have Maine Boys to Men and that they'll be upcoming co-hosting a screening of The Mask You Live In about toxic male masculinity. And they're doing that through the Scarborough school system. And so um, I, I encourage people to go see that movie. Really excellent. Okay, I'll make sure that's up there as well. Great. Thank Jennifer, you. why do you do this work? I I am truly called to do this work. It is, for me, a vocation, I believe, because it's my passion and my mission just to continue to spread these ripples of healthy sexuality across the state and beyond. And you know what? My sons are at stake along with all youth, and I I just can't leave that to chance. And if I have skills and passion to bring to the table, I'm going to use them. Well, I've heard some great reviews. Oh, thank (laughs) you, Yeah. How old are your boys? Uh, 13 and uh, just about 10. Okay, so they're in our age group here. Oh, yes, they are. (laughs) (laughs) So you speak from experience as well as wisdom that you've um, you've gotten. All right, is there anything that you wish I had asked you, but it didn't even enter my brain? Um, Trying to think. Um, I think we covered, you know, a goodly amount of what I wanted to really get across, but I will say that um, we're running out of excuses. We really need to do this. Like I said, what we're seeing in our current events is letting us know really loud and clear that we need to be getting to our children about healthy body, healthy sexuality, and healthy attitudes about sex and how to relate to each other, regardless of gender, how to relate to each other. And so it's just, you know, mine is a call to all parents that, you know, we can do this and we can really impact this generation. And I think the key is really understanding how to relate to other human beings Yes, and um, to relate to each other with respect and Kindness. 
Yes, indeed. So we are going to have to get back together again for the next episode because we need to tackle teens. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting into that next age group. (laughs) That's right. And then on to the adults. So we've got a lot to talk about. Thank you. Thank you so much, Diane. I've been talking about raising sexually healthy children with certified sex therapist Jennifer Wiesner. I'm Diane Atwood, and this is the Catching Health Podcast. I'll be right back with more news from Catching Health. Thank you for listening to the Catching Health Podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, host and producer. If you want to read the show notes for this episode and see Jennifer Wiesner's list of resources for raising sexually healthy children, visit my website, catchinghealth.com. And while you're there, take some time to look around. You'll find recipes, fitness tips, blog posts on a variety of health and wellness topics, and more podcast episodes. You can also sign up for a weekly update and my free wellness tips. Thanks again and have a great day. Mm